the time when wargamers played with chainmail and the rise of the wizards of the coast, there was an age of gamers. And unto this, Gygax, destined to bear the crown jewel of TSR upon a troubled brow, to show you all how to roll for initiative. Issue number 69 of the Roll for Initiative podcast. I am your most electrifying host, VMBits. I'm sitting alongside DM Nick. Hello, everybody. And the faithful DM Will. Hey there, I'm not so electrifying. No, no, no. Only I'm electrifying. But anyway, <laughs> and we're going to start. stop calling him producer and start calling him DM because he earned the title by now. DM Matt. Hi, everyone. I've finally been promoted. Yay! Hey. 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 Up. Hey, wait a minute. No one ran by the paperwork with me. Oh, did you see that memo that came across your desk? Oh. oh well, Stupid maybe you should pay attention goblins. to clean up your desk. Stupid goblins, they ain't giving All right. Someone's going to have to die. <laughs> so we're back with another new show. This is going to be entitled The Special Insert Number Two Letters. Uh, letters. Yeah, that's right. Letters. letters? <laughs> yeah. Letters. Because <laughs> basically tonight we're going to focus on all the emails and voicemails we got. We got a ton over the last couple of weeks. So, Would and- you say we have a plethora? Yeah, a plethora works. Got a bunch of emails, and then we're going to uh, end the show with a nice round talk about uh, our requested topic of the fighter. So let's start things off. Nick. Yes. Stars. Yeah, we got a few stars uh, on iTunes here. Uh, just to remind everybody, yes, go to iTunes. Give us some reviews uh, on Roll for Initiative podcast. Just type in Roll for Initiative in the search and then uh, go to that link, and it'll pull up Roll for Initiative. All of our podcasts that we've had in the past are archived, and you can write a review. And we will uh, do our best to uh, read those on air whenever we can. So our first one, if I could get to it here real quick, is from Trevor Retrack. And he gives us five stars and says, takes me back to the good old days. I, says, I, start- <laughs> I started playing D&D in seventh grade. That was like 25 years ago. <laughs> this podcast brings me back to the old days of 20-hour gaming marathons, uh-huh. back before life became hard. Keep up the good work, guys. Because of the podcast, I went on eBay and got copies of the first edition again. I'm like, oh wow, very cool. Yeah, I'm glad we can, um, you know, bring back some memories. You know, I think sometimes a a little nostalgia is good every once in a while. So, Yar. thank you, Trevor. Uh, our next one is from Pierce in Phoenix, and we get a four star review and says, "Great for those interested in D and D." And, I'd hope so. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Who thought? <laughs> if you're interested in hayback writing, no, no, this isn't the podcast. For no, me. no, no, no. Uh, focusing on first edition rules, the hosts and guests do a great job of elaborating on specific topics and how to play D and D. Very informative and entertaining. This is likely the best D and D podcast you're gonna find. Four out of five stars because the humor can be a little dry at times. Well. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's another good, great D&D podcast out there, I believe. Uh, you know what that one is, Vince? 
Um, There's one called Save or Die. <laughs> yeah, Save or Die podcast. Uh, that's yeah. right. Dealing with old school Dungeons and Dragons as far as classic. And I believe uh, if I could plug also, who is it? Thacko's Hammer as well. Too. That's our other podcast. Yeah. That's dealing second, edition second edition as well. Yep, yeah, that's right. So, you know, we run the whole gamut there, except for the edition that shall be. And, and soon to be, uh, Nick will be hosting a third edition podcast by himself. Uh, I did not get that memo either. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. Uh, Joke I know. All right. But our last uh, review is from Burnt Umber Hulk. And he gives us three whole uh, three stars. It says, when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, well, it could be painful to listen to. <laughs> but uh, it's a very long review. It's like the longest one I've seen is like eight, eight paragraphs. And it's a really good, concise review. I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but, you know, in a nutshell, he's uh, gives us, you know, gives the good and the bad and the ugly of the podcast. I think that's fair. And we take, and like I said before, we take all of these reviews uh, for what they are, and we try to uh, listen to our, uh, you know, our, our, we try to listen to the people that uh, give us feedback. And if you wish to listen, uh, oh, I'm sorry, if you wish to read Burnt Humble Hulk's review, please go to iTunes and check it out on the Roll for Initiative page there. Yeah. So, it's like he says in the last paragraph, It's it, the podcast is done by a bunch of fans for free. Right. And he appreciates the enthusiasm, but, you know, everyone's always going to have a complaint about something, and you, you can't blame them. So Right. Of course, you know, we're not perfect. And we do, like we said, we're fans. We do this for free. We try to, we try to do the best we can from time to time, but, you know, sometimes real life <laughs> rears its ugly head. As much as I would love to devote my whole time and to... Uh, to you know doing gaming and doing the podcast and stuff because now i envy you know will and <laughs> it's got like four games going on and yeah but that's I, all suspended until december that's right you're moving into your new house now yeah congratulations on that well i, I still gotta overcome one issue so and then once that issue is overcome hopefully we hear something on monday that's what right. to do with the dead bodies. That is a big issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey now. All right. Moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, if you want to uh, write in or anything, uh, uh, staff at gmail.com, or you can call us 570-865-4210. Sorry, 4210. The hotline. Hotline. That's right. And I'd also like to give you a chance to go on the website, check out all the uh, notes that Matt has posted up, finally. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Slacker. A slacker. Uh, I noticed that one of them doesn't have a picture, Matt, so you want to get on top of that. Uh, <laughs> take a chance to go to adventuresdarkanddeep.com and check out the not-so-retro clone of what happened to first edition if Gary continued making it. And I do have to say, after that interview and looking through the book, it's not bad. Definitely go pick it up. I know, Will, you were commenting on that before, too. Yeah, well, definitely. I'm definitely going to look into it because it's something new. It's not a rehash of, you know, something else that exists or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for is something new. I see that we have some comments on the website uh, from the uh, author himself, he said he appreciates being on the show and he had a lot of fun doing it. And actually, uh, James Malazeski, 
Mazuski, sorry. Mazaluski from Maz- uh, yeah. Dragnardia.com. Yes. Yeah, actually, for someone who doesn't listen to podcasts, he apparently listened to this one. <laughs> I asked him to plug the show a while ago. He's got a link on his website, on his blog. Yeah, I get, apparently he listened to this one, so cool. Good yeah, well, good. Thanks uh, there, uh, uh, Mr. Mazaluski. Yes, definitely. And uh, let's head into uh, some sage advice. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice for the third take this evening, folks. Uh, we have a plethora of emails and voicemails. There's no singing in this third track. And yeah, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, talk to Matt. He'll tell you on the side what happened. So let's go straight into our voicemails tonight, guys. We have a whole bunch of them. So I'm just going to start playing them, and then we'll comment after each one. So just give a little mute on your microphones, and we'll start okay. with the first one. Hi, Hi guys. It's uh, your dual-class Ranger Bar DM, Cal. I seem to be getting into this pattern of, as I listen to the show, catch up. Uh, something comes up that I want to make a comment on and then call you. I feel like I should start making notes and then just do one giant voicemail. But anywho, here I am. Uh, as I was going to be talking about uh, Paladins of the Tech Evil on issue 65, because I why Paladins is so controversial, I found that the best way I had a DM, and it was a guy who lived with DM Adam, uh, handle Paladins of the Tech Evil is basically, uh, Detect Evil is kind of like Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. When, uh, you know, it's like something that's acting sort of away from you and not directly on you, you can, you detect evil goes off like, man, I feel evil going on. Something's going on. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Doesn't mean it's necessarily like, I know you're evil and you're doing evil. It's just like, I get this bad feeling. It's, that's what it was. We said it was more of a bad feeling. And the closer it got to you, the closer it came to directly impacting you, you could sort of narrow it down. And the higher you got in Paladin levels and the higher your wisdom score was, you got better at being able to quickly narrow down. It's like, oh, man, something bad's going to happen, and I think it's going to be right now. And I think that goes a long way to keeping Paladins from sort of doing this. And I detect evil every five seconds. Oh, look, you're evil. So that's the way it's no longer so much an alignment thing. Alignment plays a, a role in it. It's more a... Man, something something's wrong. Something's not right. We we got to do something different. We got to get out of here. We got to change this now, 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 now. And it turns the pals into a more of a sort of it gives him a bit of a reactive slash proactive role where he can be feeling something's not right. And now he can be trying to push people to go, hey man, this isn't good. We got to get out of here. We got to go. We got to go now. And it gives you a lot more role playing options. So that's more of my two cents. I may be dumping a whole bunch more voicemails on you. But thanks a bunch. Keep putting them out and take care. Bye bye. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess his spider sense is tingling there. Hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I I don't. You don't like? I don't that? know if I would want to do that. No, that way. No. Why not? I, I, because it's not detecting evil anymore. It's detecting bad situation. Right. <laughs> you know, that's how it sounds like to me. Yeah, I know. Uh, it reminded me of the Spidey Sense thing. Yeah, I mean, you could use if you're going to use it kind of like a Spidey Sense thing, then it's not necessarily that you're detecting <clears throat> like a bad situation. There is evil in the area. It's just non-directional, I guess you want to say. You know, there's 
and maybe as a higher level you go, it becomes a little bit more focused. Maybe you can play it that way. I kind of do detect evil. I don't. I don't let the players abuse it too much. I hate the people that walk around going detect evil, detect evil, detect evil, because that gets on my nerves. Like I had a player in a group that was every time some we walked into a new place, that I was like detect evil on that guy, detect evil, detect evil. It's like oh, I got to the point I was just I wouldn't let him use it anymore. I would tell him when he felt something evil because I couldn't take it anymore. Wow. It just it was just abusive too much. I I know people out there going, oh my god, you can't do that. Well, too bad. I'm a DM. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Suck a duck. There you go. There's your answer. Will, what do you think? Well, you all know how I am about this kind of stuff. You know, I'm by the book kind of guy and everything. And I appreciate the ability of the paladin being able to detect evil. My issue with it is, though, just because it's evil doesn't mean it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that this is my issue. If you was in a big city, and let me just give you an example, like Waterdeep, for example, there's going to be a plethora of evil people walking around the city. And you know what? I just see a paladin that's going to be chewing down aspirin all day long. There's <laughs> yeah. danger. There's right. danger. There's danger. And, and look, like, what are you talking about? It's just a merchant. It's just a prostitute. It's just a, a, a beggar. I mean, it just... I, hey, I mean, hey I, that prostitute is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> In more ways than one. The things that she can give you. Well, good thing a paladin can resist disease. <laughs> Very good. There you go. See? Win-win. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You know, I wasn't trying to go that way. But you all get the idea of what I'm saying is I, 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 I see what he's trying to say, and I see how he's trying to expound upon the detect evil as a spidey sense. But then again, I, I would rather it be like a directional thing. And, and you know what? It didn't go into like, can, is it stopped by walls? Is it stopped by barriers? Is it stopped by certain spells? Uh, it just, do you, I mean, what's the chance of ever, you know, a party being surprised by evil monsters now if you have a spidey sense? Now that they're on the, you know, the lookout, or the paladin says, oh, there's something going to happen. You can never get surprised on them. So there's going to be some flaws with that idea. But you know what? If that's how you like to do it, that's, that's good on you. Hey. Yeah, whatever works. Yeah. Cool. All right, we have another uh, voicemail by the same person again because he did say he was going to call back. Here we go. Hey, hi guys. This is DM Cal. Listen, I was just listening to you guys talk about the replies, and um, I actually disagree. I think it's a great item, and there's some great flavor to it. It reminds me of the Greek myth about um, Hera, queen of the gods, and her uh, bodyguard Argos who had the hundreds of eyes all over him. And when he was slain, Hera picked each one of those eyes out and put them on the peacock feathers. That's why her, uh, so she could keep an eye out on Zeus. That's why her bird was peacock. So if I was going to run the robe of eyes, I'd make it a robe of peacock feathers. And I would definitely see this as something that a queen or a king or some monarch had on them at all times as sort of this safety precaution as, are people showing up who they're supposed to be? You've got ultra vision, you've got infra vision, you can see invisible characters. You know, forget about the tracking thing so much at that point. It's a, um, although it's nice to be able to, you know, say if you needed to track someone in your castle and see who's going in and out of uh, secret passages, I think this robe works perfectly for that. But I really see this as the kind of thing that a monarch's going to be wearing. Uh, when they're holding audience and in public view of everybody, and then they always know when someone's coming at them, or it's going to be on the captain of their guard as sort of a, this is the peacock queen, and this is her uh, captain of the guard who's wearing a robe of peacock feathers, 
but look at all those eyes on those peacock feathers. Isn't that what a peacock looks like? Oh yeah, you're not kidding. You're not gonna sneak up on that guy whatsoever. So yeah, just my two cents on a piece, on a magic item. Nothing's ever useless. It's all in uh, the flavor you give it to. That's delicious. Bye. That's an interesting take. At least a little Greek, uh, Greek mythology history going on. Yeah, I, you know what? That's a pretty interesting take on that. I like that too. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like the spin on it. It, it makes it's a far more useful in that type of sense because the way it's described with all the eyes, you're not going to walk around with it without everyone giving you a lot of odd looks. Whereas if it was a robe of that just uh, looked like peacock feathers, that you could actually get away. With uh, walking down the street and just looking regal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Peacock. Well, what do you think? I think it's a great idea. I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with expounding upon magical items and the differences and everything. And I think it's extremely creative, you know, using that Greek mythology, you know, to, to back up, you know, the, uh, the item itself. I think that's awesome. You know, I never thought about it like that in that sense, you know, about a peacock feather. You know, I, I do know the story, but it never clicked with me, you know, in using that sense. So, no, no, no. That's definitely kudos to that to that, to that, that caller right there because I think that's great. Cool. All right. And this is another voicemail by the same person. <laughs> Hold on. Hi, RFI. This is DM Cal. Apparently, I uh, do not uh, make people fail their surprise checks and pick up the phone all the time. So that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I just want to say I'm loving the, uh, volume, volume two. And, uh, that's partially why I'm calling. I wanted to echo what, uh, DM Will had said about the concept of saying no. No is bad. Uh, the first rule of theater and specifically improvisational theater is saying no to negation. So I agree with that man 100%. D&D and role-playing gaming in essence is basically you're telling a collective story. When you say no to a part of that story... The story stops. You can't move forward. Saying yes moves it forward. That being said, uh, the, you brought up the concept of non-weapon proficiencies, and specifically the example was used with uh, fire starting. My job basically has me being a dual-class ranger bard, and part of that is I've been learning how to make fire in a natural way, spark rocking, bow drilling, uh, being going to be taught hand drilling and possibly a mouth socket, Polynesian fire plow, fire saw, so I think partially that you can, you don't need uh, secondary skills or non-weapon proficiencies. They can be nice as a training wheel. And at the same time, you can also talk over with somebody and go, start with a class that you feel comfortable with. And then, you know, what backgrounds do you have? In my case, if I was to start for the first time ever playing D&D, you might, I might start with a more wilderness background. I'm an archaeologist. I trade. I'm working out in the wilderness now with kids. So a ranger makes sense for someone with my background. And then I know how to do bojo. I know how to do some herbalism. I know a few teas that help people when you're out in the wilderness. And I know, you know, how to do first aid out there. So already you have this this built-in knowledge I've got of what do I need to do when I'm out there. And that's basically non-weapon proficiencies. So starting someone there... And then really working with them and asking them sort of to do a bit of their homework and mine their own background knowledge really sort of eliminates the need for uh, not only proficiency but secondary skills. It's when you branch out into something you've never done before that you might consider, okay, let's use these as guidelines. 
So that's it. Hope everything's going well with you guys. Keep on producing. Uh, I love listening to the show when I get out of the wilderness, and thanks a bunch. Bye. Why is he in the wilderness a lot? Because <laughs> he said he's an archaeologist. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that part. He's out there with Indiana Jones. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, was, a, is a, was actually an archaeology major. And uh, the first day of her archaeology class, they actually showed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then the professor immediately said afterwards, if that is what you think archaeology is, get out. <laughs> wow. No, nah, you know, but, uh, you know, that was a, a great comment he made there and not trying to, you know, do any backslapping and nothing like that. But I think that is the biggest issue right now that is um, it's so easy to say no than it is yes. And and saying no, it's just a showstopper. It is. It's just a, it's just terrible. I don't know why DMs will say no, maybe because they're too afraid to actually adjudicate something on their own, maybe. That's what I always think. I don't understand why people have to have skills. People keep pounding in, oh, secondary skills, not weapons. Who cares? No. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. I mean, just I just don't understand the logic of it either myself sometimes. You know, I see sometimes it be more of an impediment than anything else. If the guy's a ranger and you're in the forest and you want to say, let's build a fire, obviously the ranger's going to know how to build a fire. You don't need a stupid yeah. skill to tell you that. Right. Or tie ropes. You're, a ranger's going to know how to tie ropes because he's busy making traps in the forest, feeding himself. Or Even a druid would know how to do that at this point. Because I use hemp, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go on to one of our other voicemails. Hey, guys. DM Kojo here again. Just want to make a couple comments about issue 65. Great show as always. Uh, Invisible Stalker. Love this creature. Uh, my most interesting Invisible Stalker moment comes from years back when I was uh, playing in a game where uh, a village was being uh, invaded by a handful, ended up being like four or five, I think, Invisible Stalkers that were going around killing people, uh, you know, unbeknownst to them who was doing it, you know, because they're invisible. And our party had to go in and try to solve the mystery and take care of the invisible stalkers and follow the clues and figure out where they were and kill them. And it was uh, one of the better uh, adventures I remember playing when I was a kid. Uh, Try to end a warning. Love this thing. But I like unusual weapons. I was always the character who wanted to carry a scimitar or a pole arm or a trident or something unusual, even if it wasn't the most efficient weapon. So I love this weapon. I think it's pretty cool. Even if you're not in a uh, maritime adventure, I'd, I'd love to have a fighter with a trident warning and have a backstory of growing up in a community on the water. And so my weapons, uh, you know, expertise tailored towards that environment. So I think that'd be cool. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you later. Heck, when I was a kid, my biggest concern was trying to find the weapon with the most damage. I didn't care what it was. That's all I worried yeah, about. Was like, I want a big giant axe just to chop things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was that? What was that? The uh, that one pole arm weapon that's really long does all that damage, oh. but it's so cumbersome. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. 
but like a pike or something. I don't know. I can't think of it offhand at the moment, but I just remember having to take that weapon, and it was just like, uh, you're going in a dungeon cave. You can't carry that. It's like, oh. <laughs> yes. Well, when I first started playing, we didn't quite grasp the concept of weapon sizes, so in the uh, five-foot <laughs> tunnel, you would be able to carry that in my original game. <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, like an all, an all pike is 18 feet, so yeah. <laughs> You're talking about the Bardiche, the Glaive? Yeah. No, the, 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 uh, an all pike. Oh, an all pike. It's, it's yeah. 18 feet long. I don't see no reason to carry one of those things into a dungeon. Yeah, but it does lots of damage. Yeah, but its speed factor is like 13. <laughs> what you do is you just point it in front of you and charge. You don't care what's in front of you at that point. Yeah, when you're like 10, 11, 12, 13 playing this game, who the heck is going to be worrying about speed factor? Right. Realism for that matter. You're just like, dude, kill. Right. It was like I, when I, my, I remember the first game I ever played. I played a fighter. It was just me and the DM, so it was a one-on-one session. And I did what every 12-year-old would do. I immediately went to the tavern, got drunk, and got in a bar fight. Of course. And proceeded to hit people over the head with my bottle as opposed to pulling my sword. And got arrested and thrown in jail and broke my hand as I was banging my hand on the bars like I had a cup. But I didn't. Nobody knows the troubles Matt's seen. <laughs> yeah, but that's good to hear about the Invisible Stalker coming up again and everything. And like I said, I'm not a big fan of the monster. It's a very terrifying thing to run into, especially if you can't see it. I love that monster, Invisible Stalker. The best picture ever drawn for D&D yep. manuals. Yeah. Square box. But if you had that robe of eyes, though, the Invisible Stalker isn't quite as scary. <laughs> so we found a use. Oh, very good. There you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, now you, can, now you can use that big old long weapon, that all pike and everything, and swing it around like in a 360-degree circle, and eventually you're going to hit the Invisible Stalker attacking you. Yeah. Wow, well, could you have said that any faster? <laughs> <laughs> You know, one weapon we always used to like to uh, try to make up and play was that that uh, that weapon from uh, uh, from Xena, the one that she used to throw around. That oh, the uh, bladed that uh, was almost like a bladed frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that rip off of the glaive from yes. Cor- Scroll. Yeah. yeah. Always tried to do that. I remember, and someone on the forums actually wanted a write up for it. So I, we, a couple people in the forum, me and another person, we sat down and we actually wrote it up for him. I was just thinking about that weapon because it was kind of cool looking. Anyway, last voicemail. Hey, guys. This is DM Kojo. Listening to another awesome RFI podcast on my way to work early in the morning. Issue 67, fantastic so far. Just wanted to call in about the wizard's duel question. I like Will's idea of uh, using some kind of psionics system, similar to the psionics system. But... <laughs> My question would be, how are you going to work in attack modes and defense modes? I think of wizards' duels and wizards throwing things and the other wizard catching things and, you know, blocking things, things like that. Also reminds me of a Yoda versus Dooku Jedi duel kind of thing as a reminds me of a wizards' duel. So I like the idea of doing something different when you have a wizards' duel, and but I want to see some kind of defense mode system worked out. My other question I had was in regard to fleshing out a town. I'm creating a master template kind of for a town that's going to be a base of operations for my characters in my own campaign setting. 
And I've got all the obvious things worked out. You know, I've got the blacksmith shop and I've got the general store and the tavern and the inn and all that. But what are some of the lesser known uh, buildings or NPCs that run different operations that you want to have in a town like that? Obviously, you need a thieves guild, things like that. But I was looking for suggestions of the more obscure kind of occupation that I might want to have fleshed out uh, to give more life to my town. Love to hear what you think on that. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. DM Kojo out. Different. Oh, I like this one. Yeah. Oh, yes. I like this one. May I? May I? May I? Oh, go ahead, Nick. Please, proceed. Um, well, I guess it depends on the size of the town that you're going to have. Um, uh, one of the things I was thinking about is uh, maybe uh, an alchemist. Hmm. Maybe there's an alchemist in the town, an hmm. herbalist. Yeah. Um, possibly if it's near a coastal environment, you're going to have uh, sailors. Mm-hmm. You're going to have shipwrights. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have a, you know, maybe a dry dock there. Uh, if you're going to have a port, a warehouse, uh, warehouses. So well, what have, is that one thing called? A scrimshaw? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I those think the, so. Those are the people I think that carve figures out of bones. I can't remember what that's called. You know, those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Gurmisher Publishing actually put out a city builder uh, book mm-hmm. that was it's strictly outlying different buildings in a city, and it's broken down to, like, mercantile places uh, and like the underworld, religious places, and it gives you like a little one-page description of various different types. Like for the mercantile places, it has like a a bank, a brokerage, a pawn shop, a trading post, and explains right. the differences between those. Um, that series you can get on Drive Through RPG, relatively cheap, and it's worth looking into. Uh, most important one I think of, and a lot of people forget, is a town crier. Mm-hmm. Town Crier, very good. Very yeah, strong. definitely. What the uh, apothecary is? I, I, I thought the apothecary. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you're always going to have some sort of person who's the soothsayer, a seer, some sort of some sort of mystic mm-hmm. in the town, like the mm-hmm. old lady who's like maybe she's the fortune teller. That would be something mm-hmm. unusual. So you know, you know, a few of those things. Um, I think one. What was it? Yeah, like. Um, Several adventures that are kind of town paced, like against the cult of the reptile god. They have the one fellow who's like, uh, he's a magic user, who's a hermit. He's crucial to that particular town. Um, I also recommend, yeah, it, you know, steal ideas from other areas. You know, a uh, good one is uh, Secret of Bone Hill. Uh, Rittensford is a great uh, town that you can rip off ideas from. That whole Lendor IL series, great stuff to rip off ideas from and and just use. I mean, uh, another good place to steal games, uh, steal ideas from is uh, all the D and D games, like the role playing games, uh, from yeah. computer games. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Oh, okay. And uh, the online games, like for example, World of Warcraft. If you play that, uh, you can take, yeah. you can steal a lot of ideas yeah. of people just around the town because they have right. everything. Fi- I mean, most of the characters don't do anything in the game, but at least you can get an idea of like, oh, this guy's standing here to right. do that. Well, maybe he'll do yeah. this instead. Like, or if you can get right. the uh, city I- uh, system box set, that 
That Ooh, that's a really yeah. good one. It, which also has a tie in uh, back to our thieves. It actually has a pickpocket chart that it will determine what type of victim mm-hmm. you found and what's in that victim's pocket. Right. And also, he was also talking about like thieves' guilds, and I guess to a lesser degree, an assassin's guild is. Depending on the size of the town, you might not have a thieves' guild or an assassin's guild. Because if it's, you know, maybe a town of, you know, 100 people, you know, I don't think a thieves' guild is gonna even going to bother setting up shop at a place such as that. Maybe now, if you're talking 500 people or more, then maybe you're going to have a. A relatively small thieves guild of maybe a dozen or so people. Who knows? It's not a guild. Maybe it's a society, and they meet once a month. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. But that's the pawn shop. That's the thieves guild. Is the pawn shop? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did want to interject real quickly when he when we talked about the uh, the magic user duels. I did find an interesting interesting supplement this week while I was uh, doing some packing and everything. So uh, I'll probably talk about it more on, on on the forum and everything. But the way I was I was explaining as far as the the wizard duels are concerned is to uh, do it like the the psionic duels is that the uh, they're going to roll initiative. And then depending on what spell they're going to cast, they're going to have to write it down. Then they turn the sheet over. It has to go by segments. It's a very convoluted process, I think. And I, I think there was a poster on the forum that gave up some type of idea of how to do the uh, do a wizard stool. Did you see that, Vince? Yes. Yeah, I just, uh, it just I got to the point where I saw that he played a 121st level character, and that's when I got lost. Uh, oh yeah, you mean the, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. I'm sorry. I was just I was just actually reading your your comment on the forum because I was going to talk about it. Yeah, about the uh, the duels and everything. So you got lost when you got at the 121st level, huh? Well, I was reading this process, and and it's it's extremely convoluted toward the very end, especially when you get to a higher level. I mean, he put some work into it and everything, and it has a lot of merit, and I can see where it's coming from now. So instead of using spells, they're using, like, uh, how would you say it? Uh, other type of abilities and taking it from another area to oh. just to throw out things, you know. He actually posted up an answer to you, now, um, Will, saying he actually homebrewed where we leveled three times as fast, and then he converted it to AD and D rules. And by the way, a hundredth level magic user gets somewhere around thirty-three to thirty-four spells per day per spell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know that because. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> Well, I'm not laughing at him. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, M4. I'm thinking the M series of modules and everything. And I think, like, I would love to have a 100th level magic user. Yeah, no kidding. I'm just laughing at the fact that this is that much. That's a lot. But, yeah, it's an interesting little system you can take a look at and, and just to see what he came up with. Yes. And and that made me look into that thing. I, I think if you all saw the supplements, one was called Wizards Challenge, one was Cleric's Challenge, one was Thieves Challenge, another one was called Fighters Challenge. I believe that was for second edition. But still, though, you can use that. I found another book on Wizard Duels. I'm going to read it here a little later on when I have time. And then I will, you know, I will you know, post that on, on the forum and everything, because I think it's a very interesting concept uh, because it just, it just, it's just fun to do those kind of things, but there's nothing set really in stone on how to really do one properly. Yeah. Unfortunately there isn't one. You're right. Okay. And looking, I just realized we have one more voicemail. We've been popular this week. Wow. Here we go. Yes. So apparently dragons are not standing by, but unless the dragons are automated. Um, my name is Jason Karleski. I'm calling you from Durham, North Carolina. Um, I was looking through my closet today, and I found a, an old copy of uh, B1 In Search of the Unknown. 
I haven't used it in years. It's in pretty good condition. I mean, it's perfectly readable condition, kind of yellow, but no big deal. Um, I don't want to sell it on eBay because I kind of want to give it to a good home, and you guys are a good home. So if any of you, Will or Nick or whoever, wants this, a copy of B1, I'll just send it to you to give me an address. Or if you want to, uh, or if you could add, put this message on the show, advertise, uh, my email address is uh, C-H-I-R-H-O underscore night, like the the sword, at hotmail.com. I'd have to give this to someone who's going to use it and enjoy it. So you guys have a good day. I love the show. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Wow. Wow. That's awfully nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I already have a copy of B1, but thank you anyway. I have seven copies. I found that out yesterday. Well, yesterday. Why do you have seven (laughs) copies? Well, see, what happened is. day of the week? You know, this is crazy. It's because as I'm unpacking and packing old boxes and new boxes into other boxes, I just have so much stuff. And then I just put all my first edition modules together and end up having seven copies of B1, various, you know, um, times when they were printed. And that's not including the B1, the B super module, which includes B1 and that as well, too. So, but no, I, I don't think I can use another one. <laughs> I'm just I, picturing Will sitting in, on front of his. You know, table. He has them all laid out. This is my Sunday issue. <laughs> this is my Monday one. I read on Monday. This is Tuesday. No, actually, you know what? B one is, is is perhaps. I mean, I I love that module, and that is the one that I always run when I start a new group of players. I don't care what edition it is. Well, except fourth, I will always run B one. You know, and it's funny. It's kind of a quirky adventure because it's the one where you you fill in the creatures yourself. That's not predetermined, you know, monsters. It's all, you know, you put whatever you want in the in the rooms. Yep. I actually have three copies myself because of things I've oh. bought off eBay. Like every time I buy something, like there's a B one <laughs> module in it. So actually, if anyone wants the module and they're missing it, just give him an email and he will gladly send it to you, he said. so. Yeah, there you go. Yes, That's Hearing awesome. you guys talk about how many copies of that, I I don't feel as bad when I ended up with two copies of the Nightmare Lands box set. <laughs> actually, I was looking through my stuff here as the emails were playing, the voicemails were playing, and there's a really good box set if you could find it. It was made by um, AEG Games for uh, Lord of the... Lord. Legend of the Five Rings, and it's called Discard City, I think it is. And it gives you a map, and it gives you a detailed outline of things inside the city as far as royal families and what things are inside the city. So it's a great thing to pick up. It's kind of old, and it might not be printed anymore, but if you can get your hands on it, it's great. Yeah, also what's good is if you can find it, the City State of the Invincible Overlord box set is incredible. I know, I want to get a copy of that. Uh, It has uh, so many maps. The book details every building in the city whether it's empty if it's empty who owns it uh and it details every shopkeep every private residence it is ridiculous the amount of detail it has wow yeah. i i love it is i found a copy at half price books for ten dollars and i like are you serious yes i, I am totally wow in the butt for not getting it back in the day i wanted to yeah. get a copy of that yeah, yeah anything that came out that was re-released and who was that necromancer games or was that sword and sorcery uh no that was mayfair oh it was, it was mayfair? i have the i have the mayfair box set um it was originally released like in 81 i have the version it, 
released in 86 after Gary was booted from TSR because he wrote the four. Yeah, he wrote the it. introduction. That was the oh, one was you got the old one then. See, I was talking about the, the newest one that was released. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I have the one Mayfair put out in 86. Yeah, a, so it's actually first edition compatible entirely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good find right there. Yeah. Yeah, and I also managed to pick up a couple of the smaller uh, adventure box sets with it as well. I have the Briarwood Castle, and uh, I can't actually read what the other one is, but I have two of the uh, smaller adventure box sets as well. But hey, yeah, Matt? It, City State, yes? Be my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I shall troll half-price books, and if I ever see another one, I will grab it for you. <laughs> Yes, I have like four in my in my area, so I like troll them all for stuff. It's quite glorious. Wow. Okay, cool. So you want to call in just 570-865-4210, the hotline. And you too can call in anytime you want, just like they did, and we'll play it on the air just like we did. Mm. And now let's head over to our emails. Nick, you're up. Yep. Uh, first email is from Gary B., and he says, hi, guys. I really enjoy your podcast. It brings back many fond memories of my D&D days, all first edition play back in the early to late 80s. In a recent podcast, I heard you guys mention that none of you were familiar with the work of Jack Vance. I'd like to say that I wholeheartedly recommend that you at least try out some of his fantasy work. Very good stuff. Um, a little pause on that. I Last Christmas, I did get the collected works of Jack Vance, his dying earth series. And I've yet to get through it. I, I, I've only read a few pages and I put it down cause I was distracted by something else, but I'm hoping to like around Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm hoping to read it. And it, it seems like really good because you see, you can see where Gary Gygax got prismatic spray from. So <laughs> that's in there. Uh, another great author of old is Abraham Merritt. I was pleasantly surprised to find this, such fine works of fantasy from back in the 1920s and earlier from Merritt. He has some great fantasy adventure novels predating Tolkien by many years, a lot dealing with lost civilization type adventures and fantasy monsters aplenty. There are also some other great authors listed in the article by Gary Gygax called Jack Vance and the D&D Game. If you haven't read the article, I highly recommend it. It gives some great insight into Gary's roots in fantasy literature, much of it an inspiration for the D&D game. Anyway, just thought I'd toss that in for what it's worth. Yeah, you know what? I want to find that article. I'd like to read that as well. Because from what I understand, I don't know if you guys uh, remember that, well, the the magic system out of D&D is completely fancy in, in its setup. You right. read, uh, yeah, you read the uh, um, the spell, you memorize it. Once you cast it, you forget it. So that's right out of the Dying Earth series of 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 of, uh, of stories. Um, he also says, Gary B says, on another note, I wanted to pick your brains to see if any of you are aware of any good sources or gaming systems slash methods for a solo D and D player other than traditional computer gaming. I know the ideal is to have a DM and and a few players, but for an aging gamer like me, married with many family responsibilities, who has limited time to reliably devote to a DM and group of players, there are any other options out there for solo playing. 
Needless to say, I'm a fan of the old school first edition pen and paper style of gaming. My hopes aren't high on this one, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Thanks for a great work you guys do. Keep it up. The website and podcasts are awesome. Nostalgia is a great thing. So <laughs> thanks, Gary B. Do you guys know of anything? Uh, uh, yeah. The, the, there is some solo modules put out. Yeah. Uh, There's Beaks. Yeah, there, at Dagger Alley. Uh, in the Beast yeah. series for uh, for yeah. classic D anD D, there was a solo called B Solo X Solo. Uh huh. Yeah, it was Lizard yeah, X Solo and X Solo yeah. Two. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Maze of Riddling Minotaur M Two. Yeah. I have both of those. Then, I had uh, the, uh, Midnight uh, at Dagger Alley. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> yeah. And then the B Solo Ghost of Lion Castle. Yeah. The only other option I could say is try to find a play by post game. That way you yeah. can play at your own pace whenever you want. Right. Yeah, and if you don't, well, if you don't mind a dungeon crawl, you could just take the uh, first edition DM guide and just roll gen, uh, roll a random dungeon room by room yeah. as you go through it. I'm trying to think, uh, if you don't want to stick with D&D, if I remember correctly, Tunnels and Trolls was really good for solo play, from what I understand. If you're willing to get, I mean, it's still... From my you know, and from my understanding, tunnels and trolls, even to this day, the rule system is still the same as you know, just as good as it was back then. It was one of those games I want I wanted to play too. But if you want to look for solo play, from my understanding, tunnels and trolls was a good way to go. Yeah. What I can do is is uh, while I was uh, researching the uh, the solo game deal and everything, now some of those solo games I believe is like for one DM and one player. Yeah. Now, if, if I'm understanding, he wants he he wants to do something by himself. Right. Now, yeah. Now, yeah. Some of them actually used invisible. Ink. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I know so you need to be careful Midnight when buying them. Dagger Alley used like a magic viewer kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there is, there are yeah. some other options out there. And what I will do is I'll post them. I did notice a, a few articles on solo games that were advertised in Dragon Magazine. But considering this is 2011, the chance of finding those games are probably going to be slim to none. And I can just, you know, post what I found on, in Dragon Magazines as far as solo games are concerned, especially fantasy games. They, they did a, a review on one of them. I didn't print out the name of it, but, um, yeah, that's that's. What are those uh, books that you can choose the adventure again? What was those again? The choose your own adventure. Yeah, you know they do have some of those books out there where you actually it, you know yeah. go through it, but roll dice to do attack, and then I'll tell yeah. you. Fighting if, fantasy if, series, fighting yeah, fantasy the, uh, series. The the Lone Wolf series by Joe Dever. That's when I loved as a kid. Yeah, so, you know, you have to have dice because it says now you're attacking the wolf. If you die, you go to this page, and then you see a skeleton. If you live, you see the wolf skeleton, then it goes on into the story. I can't remember all those books that are out there, but there are there are some other options. Yeah. That's it was, it Wasn't the Adventure Paths also? Uh... Yeah, the... Yeah, the adventure password to choose your own adventures, I believe. Oh, was that? Okay. Yeah, that was the yeah. one to choose your own adventure. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I commented on Jack Vance. I mean, no, I'm not a big fan of, you know, of the old fantasy. I really am not. And, you know, I don't know if I'm guilty of being bad or something. I'm familiar with who Jack Vance is, and, and I know his contributions to, you know, to the, the fantasy side of the house and everything. And, uh, yeah, I, I know the article with Jack Vance in the D&D game, and I'll post that uh, on the website later on tonight. Okay, great. 
It's a really good article. It's a really good article. As a matter of fact, there's some uh, stuff covered in uh, with Jack Vance and White Dwarf as well, too. So I'll look Ooh. for those things tonight as well. Maybe I can post those on there tonight. Ooh. I think Matt's got the next one. If we're, uh... That I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one is from Slacker Dan. Hi, guys. Great podcast. I've been following it ever since you talked about the monster I submitted to Dragon Magazine, The Creeping Pit. Oh, my God, just, that's Slacker Dan. He made the creeping pit? Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. I love you, man. <laughs> I know. It's just awesome, the people that turn up and find out about our podcast. Uh, you gentlemen provide a worthy and deeply interesting podcast, a plus five show, shall we say. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance, could you discuss the topic of rolling for initiative in first edition, rolling for surprise, taking into account adjusted scores for race and dexterity, that sort of thing. The whole process of rolling for initiative seems sometimes rather bizarre. Keep up the great work. May you get many 20s on your combat rolls. <laughs> oh Yes. So an initiative. Uh, yes. It's... Yeah, I, I'll do it real simple. You roll the six, the higher side wins. There's the end of the story. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be- if you try reading the book, uh, the DM's Guide, it was High Gygaxian at its finest explaining this concept. It's uh, like trying to divide by zero. And there's a big part of this that Will and I differ on big time, so... He's kind of pulling the uh, opening the can of worms here. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to be very gentle about it. I won't be so harsh on you tonight. Yeah, though. sure. That's what the dentist said. <laughs> I don't think you know, I mean, I look at the initiative. I, you know, you have to look at it from from two perspectives. You know, I take a look at it from the older editions of D and D. I'm talking about you know the basic and the expert and so on, and how it compares and differs from the first edition. Yes, on page 61, it explains step by step what you must do for initiative and and all the other things you take in consideration. I believe now you said now you said you take the uh, everyone dictates first what they're going to do, then you roll the dice. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I do the complete opposite. You yeah. do like the newer editions, though. No, I'm doing exactly what I did in first edition. <laughs> Got nothing See, to do we with new talked edition. about that before. People <laughs> interpreted that role so many different ways. I've, so, never, I've never seen anyone, including like the people who made the game, play like Will, so I don't know where he's getting it from. Well, this is what I got to find out and everything, you know, because <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> let's, let's give a little backstory of this. This came up once before, and then Will yeah. came in saying, Will, tell us your method of, of uh, initiative in your games. Okay, well, I do the same thing like it says in the DMG. The first thing it says, number one, determine if either or both parties are surprised. Right. Okay, then after mm-hmm. that, you determine distance. If unknown between the parties, I mean, you're going to determine the distance eventually. I, I don't know how they would figure that out besides saying, well, you're like 20 feet away, you're 30 feet away, or if you're using miniatures back in the day like I used to. Mm-hmm. Now, if both parties are unsurprised or equally surprised, determine initiative for that round. That mm-hmm. implies to me that you roll dice at number three. Right. Then number yep. four goes, determine the results of whatever actions are decided upon by the party with initiative. So then it goes, you know, in that order then. So that's how I'm saying. This is how I always played. Right. Um, you know, surprisingly... There wasn't too much in Dragon Magazine considering the topic of initiative. No. Because people are afraid to talk about it. <laughs> That's see, I don't understand where I've always done it. Everybody calls their actions before rolling. And then once you roll and then you have your move, you already have to take that move that you've already said because that makes it more realistic to come. Long time. 
You know, I, I just don't know, really, to be honest yeah. with you. You know, as, as far as I'm by the book and everything. Now, I'm not going to problem go is Go ahead. The problem is there's a step missing. It's a, at no point does it actually tell you to declare your actions. It goes That's, straight from determining initiative to resolving your action. Where did you declare your action? There is, um, if you, I think it's in further pages up in the book. I can't, I, Jason really had a good argument for this the last time someone called in about it. And if you go back to that podcast and listen to it, uh, he's he found a rule that was in like page one hundred something or other that specified declare actions before rolling. So right, right, which, yeah, it's, it's it's really weird, which contradicts the whole thing that Will was looking at. So Gary kind of contradicted himself in the book. So maybe the hell you say, yeah, the hell I say. Oh, everyone over in Knights and Neighbor are gonna throw their arms up at me now. Oh, well, they can throw their arms up everywhere they want to. <laughs> but see, this is what the deal is on this, though. Uh, my thing on this, though, I mean, like, yes, there's a contradiction. I look back at the errata, and the errata doesn't cover this contradiction, which is kind of surprising. So, you know, it, it, it's very interesting to just to... It just it's convoluted, and, you know, I'm not going to cause no argument over this. Yeah, you know what? I think it just depends, like, if it's... If you've been playing all these years where you... Rolled initiative first and then declared actions, and that's worked for you. Cool. If you done vice versa, yeah. that's cool too. As long as you're consistent, I think yeah. that's. The I wonder if 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 um if Dave Arneson had something to do with this because I was reading his version of what D and D first edition should have been with his fantasy adventures book that we I had found a copy of, and he mentions in his book exactly what Will does. So I wonder if he had a hand in writing something that Gary. Right. And maybe. Well, see, the thing is, I look at it like this from the perspective as a war gamer, okay? Mm. And this is where my argument comes in. What is D&D based on? Based? It started with war games. Yeah, and, right. And see, in war games, you roll the initiative first. And then, right. then you all your actions. actions. Then actions are declared, depending on which games they are. And then it all comes down to simultaneous combat. Now we're going right. into another extreme right there. I don't really want to get into that right now. Yeah. But see, when it says on part four, it says determine the results of whatever actions are decided upon by the party with initiative. So what you mean by that is stating to me is, okay, number one, what are you going to do? Number two, what are you going to do? Number three, monsters go. Four, what are you going to do? Five, you're going to go. And it goes in order, you know, avoid engagement, attempt to parlay, await action by other party. And it goes in steps there. And I only strengthen my argument because if you read basic, I believe it was basic and expert. I can't remember which one, but it says right there, roll initiative. Then you declare actions. Yeah. It's just weird. It's just there is a contradiction. I do agree there is. I know it's funny. I, funny. I've always played it like how Will has, even back as far as I can remember. But, you know, memory has a way of playing tricks on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, as far as I can recall, it's always like you rolled initiative and then you declared your actions. Yeah, that's how I've always done it as well. I mean, uh, the first trainer from the podcast. <laughs> yes. the, no, man. I, I even I even played Marvel superheroes as a kid that way. Even though that actually says you declare actions first. 
All right, this podcast is done. I'm firing all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone, Anyone who wants to come on the podcast that agrees with me, totally, please write to my staff at Gmail. No, I'm kidding, guys. Will you successfully change the whole podcast over to your view? Apparently? No, 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 no intention of doing that. No, whatsoever. No, I'm not trying to do that. But, Ooh. you know, just to get off the initiative thing real quick, like, because he did cover some other things, I just want you to know that I will be posting the uh, stuff on initiative. Well, there was nothing on initiative, but on surprise, you'd be I want to say, you're going to be surprised at what I read today on Surprise. So, I mean, there are so many things that are taken in consideration with Surprise. So you have to decide whether you want it to be a complicated, a convoluted, you know, system of doing Surprise, or you're going to do it the simple way. Simple. 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 (laughs) (laughs) It's not so simple in first edition. Let me just tell you that. Yeah, I know. Because it, if you lose, yes, yeah, see, this is the problem with with you know surprise. If you if you lose surprise, then you have to take the the each individual character's dexterity bonuses into consideration and other things, and it's going to tell you how many segments you lose in that combat. So it's a very convoluted process. Right. There's a there's a surprise yeah. round basically. Right, right. But it's not a round. It's segments. There's the difference is it the difference between. The reaction adjustment and how much you missed by is how many basically segments yes. that character yeah. gets to pummel you. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy how they, they do Yeah, it. it's it's very surprise can be say for example, you and like three other people in your party you're you're you you come across an eight headed hydra. And your party loses. You're surprised by the eight-headed Hydra. By how much you lost initiative by, by in that surprise roll, is how many times that Hydra gets to have a free attack on you. <laughs> As he chews you and bites you. I mean, in the, in a, it would not be surprise. Hey, it would be surprising if you die. If you die in that in that surprise round. And surprisingly, just to let you know that we're talking about initiative, that is a an extreme possibility when we're talking about simultaneous combat, which it's which it it, it is in D and D. In D and D, it is simultaneous combat. You can die, and without you having to do your action. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, so surprise is crazy because it, it depends on what you roll for the dice. It also, uh, dexterity has a lot of case in it. Other factors that contribute to surprise is the is morale, distance. It just, it's it's insanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, so we'll post that up and we'll look it over and see what we have to say to you. <laughs> I hope I have a job next week. <laughs> you will. And speaking of Will, Will, you got, I think you got the last letter. Yeah. Yes, I do. Okay, let me see who this is from. This is from DM Joe. Hey, guys, I have been playing AD&D for about eight months, and that is DMing for about six months. I personally don't use psionics, but I want to know if they are actually needed. I would like to hear your thoughts about whether or not they are needed. <laughs> they are not needed. Oh, no. uh, man, get rid of them. They are not needed. You know what? I do agree with all of y'all. Well, Matt, what did you say? Not needed. Okay. Well, you know what? I have to agree with y'all. Psionics are not needed. However, however, (laughs) if 
you really want to use mind flayers, intellect devourers to their full maximum capability, psionics is the best way of taking care of that problem. Psionics was a Bloom's brother thing that was shoved in there. They twisted Gary's arm and they made him put it in. <laughs> really? Yes. Huh. I know why. I mean, no, it was in the appendix of of the player's handbook along with the bard. So, yeah, I thought it was in the appendix part because Gary really didn't want it as part of the main rules. Yeah, that's, that's why it's called what the I've appendix. Been... It's not necessarily needed. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I've been told by various people that have spoken to Gary, but then again, I've heard people say the opposite, so... Well, let me do you a favor then, my friend. What I'm going to do is I'm going to post a letter on what he stated about psionics that he wrote. Oh, what is this from Dragon? I believe that's in White Dwarf or it's in a Dragon magazine. He did make some comments concerning psionics. I'll take care of that. I just had to find it. Okay, cool. I do agree. I, I think that he had a problem with psionics. I don't think he wanted to include that, that, that method into the game, honestly. It's too much like being playing Star Wars. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah, it I mean, a weird realm. Yeah, well, and you can just tell from the mechanical standpoint, it's so different from everything else. And in the game. it could really be, it could be a game breaker. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to take into consideration now. It, 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 psionics, you know, it, it is a weird concept, but it is a fantasy game. If you have Spelljammer, you can have Psionics. But, mm. <laughs> I mean, no, this yeah, is first edition. There's yes, no Spelljamming here. <laughs> there is that. Are you sure? Where are Mind Flayers from? They're alien. Remember, they're alien creatures. It says that in the Monster Manual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and so are Aboleths. Aboleths are But they creatures. didn't have ships. <laughs> <laughs> no, they used their Sonics because I believe they got some type of astral projection to be a Sonics. Oh. <laughs> Remember, Nick, that we found out that the Mind Flayers were these people that lived in the uh, the after the Underdark that were trying to destroy the sun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. And so... Yeah, there's a series of modules about that. that They want to destroy the sun. It's it's, it's a really good thing, though. But no, I I like psionics. Uh, You know, the thing is, though, I I don't see a player really breaking the game with psionics because, remember, it goes on psionics. Let's see, what is it? Sonic Blast It's the only (laughs) thing that works on non-psionics. Yeah, but but look at all the disciplines. Look at all the other disciplines that, I mean, that could be game breakers. They could be so abused. Oh, yeah, it just takes a good DM to play it right. And just remember, the use of psionics also allows for psionic creatures or endowed creatures to be attracted to that psionic energy that a character uses. So it can be, it can be a, a difficult, a negative you know, factor of using psionics because it might summon a creature that says, like, there's something using psionics. What is it? I'm looking for them. So you gotta be, a player's got to be real careful, but there's only one chart for that. You can summon cerebral parasites, which will only you know, affect that person has psionics mm-hmm. or you could just like not have them in your game at all <laughs> that's true that's the easy way out yeah and here we and go it is and what do i hear i, hear I don't want to have to deal with a character <laughs> that might have things like domination and dimension walk and... <laughs> yeah my issue is if i have a character with psionics and the rest of the party does not and they're involved in combat the psionics character decides to start using their psionics. All of a sudden, the the whole round system falls apart because now I have to break comment, every round of combat into segments just to accommodate the psionic battle. Yeah, yeah, that is that is one of the downfalls of psionic combat, and that's why I think I use that as an example for magic wizard duels. Yeah, it's it's a segment thing. That's where you get your three Here's by the one five that always ticked me off uh, uh, since we're talking about psionics. Your body weaponry. 
<laughs> That's Depending awesome. on their level. Yeah, sure. Yeah, f- basically, yeah, if you're a fifth level master with body weaponry, you can use your, your hand as a battle axe. <laughs> Wrong. Don't think so. Well, I, when I look at a, a monk with its quivering palm attack, I'm thinking, like, what's the difference? There would is that, a difference. Would a that cleric, though, be able, psionic cleric be able to use the battle axe, or would he have to form a club? <laughs> that's Does a good damage one damage like a battle axe I don't know <sighs> you know the only good thing about psionics though I love cell adjustment that's a quick way of healing people so I love it yeah that's why I don't use it that's a cheap way of healing Oh, but remember just remember when you use psionics there's a chance that a psionic endowed creature will be attracted to your present location and believe me you don't want to look at that chart it's well, nasty there is no chance <laughs> in my game because I don't use them so there <laughs> yeah well and so you saw, who was it that ever said something about everyone saying no, 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 and there's one yes? See, this is what I'm talking about. It's so easy to say no. <laughs> yeah, because it's my game. If you don't like it, too bad. A psionic creature will be attracted to your psionic. Sounds like a Star Wars rule when the uh, Sith Lord tries to find the dark side powers. Yes. <laughs> it's just oh, you guys evil. are killing me. You guys are killing me. It's such yeah. evil, growing hate upon hate. All right, since we digress so much, let's go to talk about Pokemon now. No, I'm kidding. Yes, no, when you roll no, for your so- psionics check, you're rolling for your Metachlorian count. <laughs> So, DM Joe, no. Psionics is not a requirement whatsoever in a D&D campaign. Especially and obviously amongst this group, not very <laughs> popular. <laughs> the chance of someone getting psionics, oh my God, come on, give me a break, guys. The chance of someone actually being psionic endowed is so slim to none. I know, it's zero that in my world. Oh my Lord, see what I'm saying? I can't win here. So, Vincent, I win on initiative, I lose on psionics. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win them all. You can't lose them all, man. <laughs> Bending them to my will. What if kneel before Zod? <laughs> kneel before me, son of Jorel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so uh, I think we have only well, no more emails left. Uh, if you want to write in RFI staff at gmail.com. Uh, we appreciate all the emails and the voicemails. That's why this is a letters show. But we have one last thing to talk about, and I'll head into table manners. We're going to be talking about the fighter, which was an email request. Yeah, actually, and I saw that on the forums, too. Yeah, so let's uh, head into table manners. Yeah, I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you... With all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some... Table Manners. Okay, today we're going to talk about the fighter due to some uh, requests that we got via email. I believe someone called in about asking about a fighter. Yeah. So we'll talk about the fighter class a little bit for the first edition. Um, D&D edition. Here we go. Uh, the fighter started off as the fighting man. We all know it started off as the fighting man. Mm-hmm. It, it was one of the three original classes, if I'm correct, if I remember that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, and then I, I think back then, too, I'm trying to go by memory now. I believe the paladin was also a fighter, but I believe it was a subclass. I believe it was a subclass of the fighter back then. The little brown book, like the little... Yes, uh, I don't... The, uh, the small uh, books, mm-hmm. yes. Paladin, I think a subclass. I'm not familiar with brown books, sorry. Now, that was back in the early 70s, almost the mid-70s. I would say 74, 75. I know there was a paladin, but I believe it was a subclass of the fighter. 
And then from there on, and then it came into first edition Dungeons and Dragons. That's when it actually became the fighter. Right. And so, you know, as I look into the fighter, I mean, you know, I, I like the fighter, great class, but I believe that the email, not the email, but the uh, the post on, on the forum was, how do you play an interesting fighter? And no, you all interject anytime you feel like it, you know, you know, a, a, became, sorry, go ahead. Fighter became fighter in the Moldvay edition. Was it Moldvay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a break between the systems in there and when it actually became a fighter, but you, you're, you're right. I believe it was somewhere in yeah. there along. I know it was a fighter. Because yeah, Kins had yeah. still had Fighting Man, and then Mulvey came out and became Fighter. So now yeah. was that the class or was that the race? Fighter class. Fighter class. Okay, yeah, I just get those all mixed up sometimes. It's been so long since I I dwelled into that subject. And if, yeah, I do with something like that. It's been a while. Yeah, oh. and I'm looking at the original Brown book, and uh, there it only lists the three classes: the Fighting Man, Magic User, Clerics. I think it's and- a supplement, though. Yeah, okay. It, okay. Yes, yeah, supplement on Greyhawk. It was in the Greyhawk supplement, I believe, okay. in one of the, the other books. It's it's all good. Right, and then Holmes was basically a transition from classic to first. So right, right. Yeah, that's that, Olvey came out and renamed it Fighter, and then first edition followed along with the same pattern. Right, and then became one of the you know the staple classes. But as the uh, the comment on the forum was. How can I make a fighter more than just a regular fighter? And this goes with any character class, and you all disagree if you want. Uh, a character class is as, as good as the, the player who makes it, you know, a good character class. Absolutely. And make it different as possible. I mean, yes, it's a fighter. What is he? He's a tank. We all know this and everything. But I think the question was, how can I make him a better fighter? Well, you know, that depends on the player. Yep, Absolutely. So as I was, you know, pursuing the subject and looking in Dragon Magazine and White Dwarf, I mean, there were, there's not too many articles. Uh, one that I saw was being a two-fisted fighter, which was in Dragon Magazine number 68. It was an interesting concept. If you don't want to use weapons, you can always use your fist. But then again, I don't think you want to fight a level drainer as, you know, with your bare hands or like a mummy, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Dragon 63 covered the Barbarian. So you can see how how quickly it shifted, you know, you know, into into the game. Dragon forty six covered a fighter, but it only talked about, you know, a fighter and finding a sword. So it kind of says now, if you want to play a fighter, one of the main goals of a fighter is finding that one weapon that's going to help you in combat or you know in, in your game. I saw Dragon number fifty one covered working your way up to first level, which pretty much consider you know covered how does a fighter train you know, from level to level to level. So basically, that's what was the extent of fighters and stuff yeah. in Dragon Magazine. Now, we could talk about other fighters that are covered, which are mostly NPC classes. And Matt, you might know Vince, Nick, you all might know which one were NPCs and which ones were not. But I mean, I looked at stuff like the Samurais, the Archer, the Bounty Hunter, the Cavaliers, the Berserkers, the Duelists, and the Warsmith, which is in white dwarf number 28 so there's different variations of fighters out there it's up to the dm to see if he'll allow you to play a different kind of fighter and if we're if we're just talking about you know your 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 you know the sword jock bob the fighter here i mean if you want to make bob the fighter a little bit more exciting i one easy way to do it is you know what when you create your character maybe choose an unusual weapon to have be proficient in you know yes like the trident 
<laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe your character is proficient in Trident or Scimitar or uh, the Ranzur or a Halberd, something like that. The so Bohemian Ear Spoon. Bohemian Ear Spoon. There you go. Um, Bohemian Ear Spoon. Uh, <laughs> that is now that's getting a little bit unusual. I mean, that's one way to make the fighter a little bit different is, you know, be, be specialized in an unusual weapon or at least proficient in an unusual weapon. Uh, another way that fighters became more interesting is uh, in our Nerd Arcana, the specialization, you know, specialization in getting weapon masters, mastery for fighters made the fighter class more appealing to players. And you know what? I like that because I think over a short period of time, the fighter class did get overshadowed by other sword jock type uh, subclasses, your paladin, your ranger, the barbarian, maybe uh, the cavalier. um, Definitely the cavalier. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what's going to make someone say, you know, I want to play just, a, I want to play a fighter. Well, here's some, here's a thing that makes the fighter a little bit more appealing is the specialization. I liked that additional rule to make yes. fighters more, more interesting. So, and also character background. I mean, we're all yes. playing this game to be, to, to, to expand our imaginations, to tell a story and have fun. And, you know, give your character an unusual background. So what if he's a fighter? But maybe he's, <laughs> maybe your fighter is, um, you know, he's a, he actually fought his way out of the slave pits. Or. And um, he, he never knew his father and mother. And uh, that's why he's proficient in a trident, because mm. that was one of the weapons he learned. Or for some good flavor, uh, Will, we can use a book made by AEG called. Huh? Called, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, buddy. Hey, are you talking about the toolbox? Yeah, or the ultimate toolbox. The ultimate toolbox, my friend. The ultimate toolbox is the one you want, not the toolbox, which is D20 specific. But get the ultimate toolbox. Yes, the ultimate toolbox uh, is perfect for making a backgrounds and okay. really flushing, flushing out a character and flushing a character. Yes, right. Right. <laughs> down the yeah. toilet. Yeah, or you may even. You may even want to consider, normally with a fighter, you put your highest stat in strength, and the second one would be constitution. Maybe instead of having it be strength and constitution, maybe strength and charisma. This is a fighter that he's more about talking people down as opposed to putting them down with his sword. Or maybe uh, he's very dexterous. Maybe he has yeah. Very good point. Very good point, Matt. And that was one thing I was hoping someone would hit on. Right. Instead of putting it into strength, put it into dex and con or dex and charisma or whatever. Yes, Or, or exactly. you could be intelligent. It, he doesn't swing a sword a lot, but when he does, he goes for that specific point to disable the foe quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I created a Oh, no. I'm about to tell you about my character, Run. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but I once played a fighter. His secondary, he had an 18 in strength, but a 16 in charisma because he was a poor farm boy, except he managed to get himself some nice armor, made it all shiny. He read a few books on, like, the nobles in the area, then traveled to a far-off land, passing himself off as, like, the father's brother, sister's cousin's uncle's nephew of a noble from a distant land. <gasps> so every- There you go. Is this, yes. this is the plot to Knight's Tale, isn't it? <laughs> 
I thought I was getting married in West Virginia or something. I don't know. I just think he just stole the plot to Night's Tale. steal the plot from who? Yes, because yeah. I played that character circa like 2004 Gen Con. It likes no, indie... you stole it from Night's Tale. Yeah, you stole it from Night's Tale. Oh. <laughs> yes, I, my subconscious stole it from Night's Tale. Apparently, I must have read a blurb about it or something. <laughs> Oh, but he would fun. he would run around with his little signet ring saying, "Don't you know who I am?" He was he was like, and just be just this overwhelming. His name is Ulrich von Lichtenstein too. Oh, <laughs> actually, his name was Liefeld. And if anyone knows anything about comics, they'll get that reference. Yes, I got it. Von Lichtenstein. Yeah. So let me ask you this though, all three of you all there. What about race? What about playing a halfling fighter? That's cool. That'd yeah. be cool. Sure. Or a gnome fighter. Gnome's okay. fun. Yeah. Like a gnome. <laughs> but like I said, now, gnomes the GM, are now, like I said, we're on first edition. We know that, you know, there's only, you know, so many races you can play. But if a DM allows you to play a lizard man fighter or an orcish fighter or a gnoll fighter, again, these are other options. It's not by the book and it's not really a lot of people do. But if you have experience, That's right. if it, you have experienced people in your group, to keep the group going, sometimes you might have to sacrifice some of the normalties and say, "Sure, go ahead, play a lizard man uh, fighter." We'll just give, make up a backstory why he's there. Right, exactly. Um, so, I mean, there's one, options um, out there. Well, there, there was that one um, uh, NPC out of the Rogues Gallery, Phobus. He was a he was a uh, originally human. He got reincarnated as a lizard man. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so so there's many options out there to play a different type of fighter, but you know what? It's all on the player to make it different. If you want to be just a tank, well, then, you know, you're going to play just a tank. It's the same thing applies to clerics. You're not just a Band-Aid. you got a mace. You can wear heavy armor. And that's another thing right there, Matt. You, you was bringing up on, you know, you know, stats, and Nick, you brought up weapons. What about just wearing leather armor or just being a fighter that wears no armor at all? I mean, that sounds kind of crazy and everything, but you, you see where I'm getting the point on that. I used to like to play fighters like swashbucklers. Just sure. different. He had like a, a rapier and he would have like light armor and he would try to do flips in the air and jump off walls to attack as opposed to just straight on attacking. Yeah, and see, and, and that you brought that up now, there were other. Now, we know we're going to a specific edition material and everything. If a good DM allows you to do it, and you know, it still can be by the book. If you know, like some of the other characters that I noticed online, and this is in Dragon Magazine as well, like the Commander, the Knight, the Kensai, the, the Pugilist, the Targeteer, Survivalist, the Bodyguard, Corsairs. Ex- There's one that I really like was the Exoticist. So I guess this this type of fighter specializes only in exotic weapons and exotic weapon styles. Like the, the trident. Ho- there goes. And the horseman, <laughs> who basically his strength is fighting from on top of a horse. But it doesn't have to be a horseman. It can be a dog man. He rides a, you know, a dwarf riding a dog or a goat man. Or, you know, he rides a goat into combat or a cow man. I have a halfling riding a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, this this the, the, the possibilities are endless. It's D&D. Yeah, it's true. A fighter with uh, commanding an animal to attack from him. Uh, Pokemon. Uh, yeah, but you know, you don't have to have sharp weapons. How about nets? You can use a net as a weapon. That's yeah. cool. You can catch him and say, I choose you. A spoon. <laughs> How about a spoon? I knew a gnome that did that one time have a spoon. He had a spoon for a weapon? Yes, he had a spoon for a weapon. Don't ask me why. Did he jump into combat and say, spoon? 
Well, actually, no. What it was is we was playing an I-3, which is Pharaoh, if you're all familiar with that first edition module, Pharaoh, one of my favorite modules. And I believe, I DM this model so many times, they run into a NPC in there, and it was a gnome. I'm certain it was a gnome who was digging his way through the pyramid somewhere, and he only had a spoon to dig himself through there, and that's why it always caught on. The guy said, oh, I want that. I want the spoon, because he thought the spoon was special. You know, he was playing his I like it was a magic spoon. Okay. <laughs> not, that's not as weird as I've seen. I We had a campaign where one of the guys was playing a half-orc, and he his weapon of choice was a big, giant turkey leg, which, may I add, he kept eating while attacking. He would attack, next round he would eat, and then he would attack. But you know what? That's what makes it special. Yeah. You have a dwarven fighter, and as he's attacking with his one-handed battle axe, he's drinking, you know, beer out of a, you know, out of a, a mug or something. You know, whatever. Just, you have to make the That's, fighter. I yeah, got you know? it. That's it. You know, you have a fighter, and all his his weapons are improvised weapons. Mugs, That's a, yep. dishes, yeah. halflings. <laughs> you know, he throws halflings at people. <laughs> so, again, players make the characters what they are. If it's yep. just a tank, it's on the player. If it's just a, a Band-Aid as a cleric, well, that's on the player. You know, Paladins, prime example. You know, there's different types of Paladins out there. If if the DM allows you to use your subtypes of Paladins, use them. Believe me, you'd be surprised how much flavor can be added on to a character class. Not specifically yep. with fighters, but with all characters. Just use your imagination. We gave you some ideas and out there, so uh, let's see what you... Uh... I like to hear from people out there about, you know, how they took, you know, Joe, the the tank uh, uh, sword slinger and made him something really special. So I'd like to hear from our people out there. Yeah, definitely. Give us a call. Uh, write, us, write us if you can and uh, let us know. I think that's going to wrap things up for this week. Yeah. Nice long letters to the editor's show. Yeah, show Instagram too. Uh, join us next week. So keep it original, keep it old school, and uh, good night, everybody. Night, everyone. Good night. Take care. Roll for initiative.